0: everything you need to know about commercial aviation. This is Layovers. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavetti Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and two minutes, and we expect another time arrival. Coming up on this flight, cost cutting head and Suffering Lufthansa merge. Norwegian gets approval in the US, as British Airways is really ready to offer food on demand in business class. BOOM iterates in supersonic speed for its first prototype jet. Another airline introduces fares without overhead bin access. Qatar increases the noise level on its upcoming super business seat. Emirates is not happy at all with Rolls Royce. How long will we wait for Ether's third runway? Alex gets delayed for 10 hours in JFK. I fly for some Qantas and I glee over the new king of noise cancelling headphones. And I apologize for the quality of my voice during this flight. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the test seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, back relax and let's turn on those noise cancelling headphones and we're back in the air and on the air flight 47 to GFK hi
1: Alex who is this 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 this, this voice sounds familiar from my distant distant past <laughs> <laughs> we have to we have to apologize to
0: our listeners you cannot imagine the number of emails, tweets, DMs, whatever. I got where are you guys? Did you fall? Did you stop? Did you not like flying anymore? I mean, we had so much support and so much of course complaints. We're very, very, very sorry, guys. It was a lot of reasons why. First of all, the irony is that because we simply flew a lot, like really a lot. Yeah, it was
1: crazy this year. Crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. The past year, Happy New Year. It's 2017. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the first thing, so which, you know, we kind of, oh, we, let's record next week. We don't have time. Oh, where are you? Oh, I'm in the US. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the Middle East. So it was really impossible for us to record. Then uh, I had to move my office. My office moved. So that also took me off broadband for a little while. Then I had also a personal thing. My my father passed away, uh, like at the end of the next year. So again, we had to push that. And it made me also very absent from, and I'm still quite absent from London. So it's a lot of stuff that pushed us. But we're back. And we promise you that we will record uh, more regularly in 2017 than we did in 2016. Because we both kind of said that we wish that we traveled slightly less this year. Because we both had our... I think, a record year last year in terms of travels, did you?
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely did. I smashed my own record. And I, I felt exactly like you said. By the end of it, I was ready to not travel anymore. And that that's quite a thing coming out of my mouth. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> me too. I was done with it. I, it. And it was a lot of long haul yeah. flying, but for very short periods of time, which is, which is pretty draining. So, yeah, I was ready to to stop by my last trip, which was which was Beirut with you.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, so that, and that was, yeah, that was one of the other reasons we pushed back is that I was involved in that conference as uh, one of the organizers mm. and that I was not only you called Beirut my new home for a little bit because I was going there literally every week or so. And yeah, it was also crazy. Also, I was working a lot for, for it. It was successful. Thank you for coming. Beth. no, it
1: was a blast. It was it was so much fun. We filmed a, an attache out there as well, which was really fun. So yeah, I think it was great. And you know, Beirut is quite a quite a place.
0: Yeah, I was about to say that. Uh, thank you for recording your attache show there because it, uh, it it's a different feel. Uh, but I really loved it. It's been quite successful, I think. People really clicked with it. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was it was fun, and I think the massive Lebanese diaspora has uh, kind of gravitated towards it. So it was fun. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to do that.
0: So that's not the only travels we did. There were so many. So what we're going to do, because there were so many, so much stuff we missed in the past, almost four months now, five months since we last recorded, uh, that we're not going to cover all our travels in this show. We're going to just like uh, sprinkle over the next few shows and some stories that were important that we miss. But at the same time, we still want to be like very close to what happens today. I got an email today that reminded of you. I think it was actually, no, yesterday uh, by Alaska. (laughs) Haha, (laughs) We'll (laughs) get there. The email. Said hello, jetsetter. Nine million three hundred ten six hundred thirty-two. That's the most miles earned by one traveler uh, in 2016. What? Uh, th- yeah, that's in the email. <laughs> so I was like, "Is that you?" No, because,
1: well, how do you feel now that the
0: acquisition is basically done?
1: uh Quite weird. I don't. I don't know how I feel. I. I, I honestly don't. Still don't really. F- Fully understand what's going to happen. I don't think they've made any decisions about how they're going to integrate experience and the experience and the brands or what's going to happen with the Virgin America brand. All I know is that late last year, they were given approval by the, the various governmental organizations that they can finish the acquisition. And so the deal is closed and Virgin America is off the stock market and they are moving towards being a single company. So, I, I, yeah, it was very strange. I did I did have a very therapeutic experience in October – I flew from San Francisco to LA and then LA to DC on Virgin America in first class and ah. it was a nice reminder that it was still such a great airline and it was a it was a way to sort of say goodbye to the airline that, you know, that it means so much to me. So I think that really helped kind of get me over it. <laughs> but again, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens because they are such different airlines. I think that the wailing and gnashing of teeth is over. Even for people like me, it's sort of, you know, you, you, you deal with it and you move on. But just from a purely industry fanatics perspective, I'm very interested to see what 2017 holds for that company. Both Both of them.
0: You also, and I retweeted some from the account Lay underscore Overs at Lay underscore Overs, you also published a few of very original artwork and other stuff from the early days of Virgin America that was really interesting as well.
1: Yeah, I need to get back on that because I have like a whole hard drive full of this stuff. And it was just either things that we'd worked on that never saw the light of day or that did very, very briefly that were kind of very ephemeral part of the Virgin America launch stuff that... I thought, well, you know, there's no point in just sitting on this. So I started publishing and people got a kick out of it, both that were directly involved or are aviation and airline industry fans. So I'll keep doing that. Keep an eye on my Twitter account and I'll I'll keep pumping that stuff out
0: yeah and i'll try to retweet most of it because the, the twitter account has been super quiet our our account because of course we were not recording so now i was yeah. using your stuff to actually fit it up also since we're talking about the changes in industry i mean the news that just was like two days ago we're recording today uh it's uh, january 19th 2017 it's the potential merger of Lufthansa at etihad Wow.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I I saw that somebody tweeted at one of the many, many industry accounts that I follow. And I immediately sent it to you. And we're like, that we have so many questions. And I went on airliners. And of course, there it was. And people like, yeah, right. This isn't even a real source. Somebody give me a real source. And then there was Reuters and all these other places that are legit. (laughs) And of course, the tone of the conversation changed immediately. So what a thing. I mean, we know they're suffering.
0: Uh, we know that also, that's interesting. Etihad is suffering as well because yeah. Etihad, out of the three, just had announced a cost cutting program. They were laying off people, which, you know, everybody always says, oh, the ME3, basically, they have all the plush money they want. They can do whatever they want. No, are they actually thinking of, of actually cost cutting and including, uh, laying people off? We know that Etihad also had this, uh, out of the three, they have this very peculiar way of expanding by acquiring uh, stakes in other airlines, including one in Germany or Berlin, which, by the way, didn't... It's not working that well, apparently. So maybe they're just saying, you know what, instead of sprinkling our our little bits of stakes here and there, we should go for one large acquisition, which is a very big, important, and create a European, even worldwide strategy. I'm not saying that Lufthansa is up for the taking because Lufthansa is still a very strong company, but it seems that they're interested. There's two scenarios. One scenario is we would have Etihad buy only a 40% say only. I mean, 40% of Lufthansa, which is big. The other would be a full-fledged merger. I don't know Lufthahnza or, or something. <laughs> Especially in the light of that dynamic of you know the anti-Middle Eastern. If suddenly Lufthansa, which is one of the main drivers of the airlines in in Europe is allied with Etihad a Middle Eastern airline it might also change the entire dynamic of the European Union against the Middle Eastern airlines it's it's really it could be staggering
1: yeah and i i think i messaged you to this question as well which is would this ever pass eu scrutiny for anti-competitive behavior I, it, those are two huge airlines but i guess because of their regional focus obviously Lufthansa in Europe and and Etihad in the Middle East perhaps they would be exempt from from such scrutiny but I but I doubt it and of course the US governmental organizations would have a say as well so yeah. I think it would be I mean Lufthansa let's you know they're also not having great times and haven't been having great times in a long time
0: they had less strikes in 2016 than they had in 2015 and I mentioned strikes because it's it's still a sign that you know stuff is not uh going that well Interestingly, uh, we also, one of the things that happened whilst we were not recording was that, uh, in the U.S., uh, they have a new president, Trump. I mean, we're not going to do politics here, but one thing that this, in the light of what I just said, could actually matter is that we had this whole story, which was our saga since the beginning of our podcast about the U.S. airlines versus the Middle Eastern airlines. And, you, they basically had lost. The U.S. airlines had lost the plot. There was, you know, there, well, nothing's going to happen. The yeah. Department of Transport was say, you know, forget it. But now that Trump, which is allegedly, you know, protectionist is the word, or defending American interests, depending on which side you're on, suddenly maybe there could be something where this could be reignited. Might be that, you know, a Trump administration might say, you know, well, we're going to actually block... Are there uh, airlines from around the world for having too much stakes in the U.S. market? I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, one sign, and I, we cannot read too much into it because we don't know the strategy. Warren Buffett uh, had bought, because maybe he felt that, had bought stakes in those U.S. airlines, thinking thus that uh, their stock would raise, that maybe they would be more protected. I mean, that's an hypothesis. So... I, interesting times ahead
1: yeah yeah I, I don't think that that uh whole argument has gone away i think it's going to come back as you say and then i think there'll be scrutiny on the boeing iran air deal which seemed like it was settled and done in a huge huge order for for boeing and for Airbus as well but so yeah it'll be interesting to see those when and if those conversations bubble back up again
0: uh, since we're in the U.S., you, you traveled quite a lot to the U.S. You did a lot of back and forth, right?
1: I did a ton uh, back and forth, mainly um, to the West Coast. I did L.A., I did San Diego, I did San Francisco, I did Oakland, but also did D.C., as I mentioned earlier, which I hadn't been to since I was born there.
0: You were born in D.C.? I didn't even know I that. was
1: born in D.C. and then left when I was six weeks old, so it's not a, not not a place that uh, I can claim any kind of attachment Uh, or affiliation too. But uh, I loved it. DC is great.
0: You had told us in a previous recording that... You had done some type of uh, magical booking in order to reduce your costs. I think you were doing, you know, not open jaws, but you were mixing inbound and outbound. Yes. So how did you, can you explain that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. To avoid the Saturday night stay rule, because I was going midweek for less than a week. And when you don't stay for Saturday night, you just get Absolutely reamed on fares because uh, they assume that you're a business traveler and somebody else is paying for it. And so you have no access to the lower fare buckets, which is complete BS, but it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. And I was really, really getting frustrated. And then I thought, wait, I'm going to the U.S. a lot and I'm doing all these back and forth. Why don't I book separate returns for the separate journeys so I could do, even if I had to do sort of San Francisco on Monday and back on Wednesday, but I knew where I was going to LA in six weeks, I could do the inbound and the outbound across the two trips, and then reverse it for the other two legs. And that means that I, on paper, it looks like I'm staying in America for like six weeks, but really, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm just picking up the return leg of the first book. Game. So that was, it was kind of fun. It saved me a fortune, an absolute fortune. And it meant I was, I could justify going in what British Airways calls World Traveler Plus or Premium Economy, which is a small How cabin. It really, really depends on the aircraft. On the 380, it's pretty good. On the 747, it's not great. The IFE is, is new on all of them. But uh, on the 747, it, they've re-upholstered the old seats. And my son and I were on the way back a couple of days ago, and it's it's not comfortable. But it meant I got oh. upgraded to business class because it's such a small cabin, and those are very, very busy routes. So I was upgraded twice. Twice?
0: Yeah. Without asking.
1: Without asking, I was just, you know, scan the thing and uh, you're upgraded. But it's it's definitely, I mean, I know it's a little bit of an outlier scenario where you're traveling back and forth so much. But if you're doing it within a year, you know you're going to be going back and forth and you aren't staying for that Saturday night. You can save literally thousands of dollars or pounds or pesos or yen or whatever you're paying in. By having a look at if you can overlap two round trips to offset that cost. Then, you know, flyer talk is a goldmine for stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I still think that that rule is... Oh, it's nonsense. It's outdated, yeah.
1: It's, re- it's, it's really exploitative and it's very, very frustrating. But this is a rather satisfying way of getting around. There's others like booking a holiday... So, you know, you go through the airlines, flights and hotel stuff, or tacking on an ancillary product to it, like a rental car or something, but that didn't actually work for me. Other people had, had shown that it can work, but this this worked really, really well for me.
0: I mean, I'm always called on BA, but I still think they're way too expensive to, do, to go to the US, so I would still fly a Norwegian, and talking about Norwegian, that's the other story that happened whilst we were not recording. Uh, interestingly, the EU was about to go to arbitration. There's an arbitration clause in the Open Skies Agreement between the US and the EU saying that, hey guys, you're still refusing – they're not even refusing, they were just not taking any decision about uh, Norwegian and their new landing rights, and uh, like a day later, maybe, or something, suddenly, um, you know, the Norwegian got its license. So- yeah,
1: I don't – I mean, having been involved in DOT approvals in the past, the amount of backroom machinations that go on is staggering. They never, ever are brought to the attention of the public. So who knows what conversations happened and what deals were struck to make this actually get over the line, but it is over the line and it's wonderful because not only are they a great airline, it's fantastic for the traveling public to have more competition, especially on tattle routes. So it's great. I'm I'm delighted for them. I still haven't flown on them. But I need to I need to change that, but I'm really, really happy that that's finally over the line.
0: Yeah, it's always it's always hard to choose a non alliance airline when you have all those miles and you want to make sure that you get your status or whatever and of course then you go, ah, oh, should I really you know but you know, at the same time again, at least from London, I think that the prices to go to the US are outrageous and this yeah. is why I'm really welcome having someone like Norwegian. Interestingly we also had a discussion back then about, you know, should Should you fly that airline X airline because I need to get to that renewal thing or not get that gold? And I mentioned Emirates, actually doesn't have like a cutoff date, which is like most programs. When I don't my BA program is like that, my Lufthansa program, Star Alliance program is like like when you know on first of Jan or maybe on the date of your enrollment you have this 12-month period that is the cutoff date. Emirates yeah. has a rollout system, so it always counts no matter what to 12 last month. So you always have a shot at getting on the next level. There's not like, oh, you reset at zero on the 1st of Jan, for instance. Oh, so it's it like, only,
1: oh. at, when you hit 12 months, it only takes away things that are 12 months old or older. Older, exactly. Which ah, means, yeah. That's great.
0: I, th- I think that's a very smart program. I mean, especially, you know, oh, let's do that last trip quickly. I have to find a reason why. I mean, I think that sometimes this is overdone. I mean, I'm not as a Navy geek as maybe a lot of our listeners, and I would not do that because at the end of the day, I fly because I need to for for work or I fly because I really love it, obviously, for even for leisure, but I would not take a flight just to like, oh, I need like 300 miles to get over the limit. No, so I, think, I think that's just a very nice way to do it. I mean, we'll talk about Emirates in a few, but I want to still stay about the transatlantic route first because there was this news that we covered a few episodes ago about this company called Boom, uh, which uh, wants yes. to create the new Supersonic. And we're both like, yeah, well, they have like a great, you know, great team of people that work in the industry. So they look very serious. But I mean, come on, doing Supersonic, it looks like since the days of the Concord, nobody will do it. Well, no, only last week, they're basically announcing that they will have a prototype ready this year to fly, which is pretty staggering actually it uh, is uh,
1: it's a, it's a scaled down small version of what they eventually do, which is a 40 seat i think version of the plane and they got investment from the virgin group or was it virgin galactic it was a virgin entity is it, is it
0: investment or is it like a, a promise to order planes i, I think remember. it's both okay i think it's but, both I mean, what what staggers me in this story because and again again i trust them i think you know when you look at especially at the team they're not just people will just blah, 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 and talk. They actually have delivered in their career stuff, so they are probably doing this, is that usually if you look at the program of the 787, the 380, or even like smaller planes, the development is seven to eight years. So the, this company basically... I mean, I'm sure they've done work before they were in public of, of their existence. But the, we heard about this company last year, and this is already have a product. It, yeah. Even if it's a smaller scale prototype or whatever. But it's super fast.
1: It's almost unbelievable. It's very encouraging. I think they're taking the kind of the fast iteration approach to it and i you know the the airframe i think is and i'm certainly not an aeronautical engineer by any stretch of the imagination from, but from what i understand so much of of supersonic travel is less about the airframe and its ability to to take that kind of stress and far more about the engine and even with that it's less about can you create the power but can you do it efficiently and quietly? And that that's what they seem to have cracked a long time ago. And now they just have to put the whole experience together. So it, this is one of the first things that I'm not going to be cynical and pessimistic about and go, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I honestly think they have a very, very good shot at this.
0: Yeah. Uh, Boeing is also working on on uh, such a program. Uh, so well we'll see. Maybe we'll actually see supersonic flights in our lifetime. And I got- hope so. That would cut the the travel time to, uh, to the US by half, at least, I think. So it's really quite... Because we be spent segregated.
1: the last... I mean, ever since we shelled supersonic as an industry, you know, there were some some sketches in the late part of the 20th century, but nothing ever came off the drawing board. we focused on efficiency, 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 and we've cracked that. And we're now looking at doing, you know, it's the longest flight now is is Dubai, Auckland, I think, 17 yeah. 18 19 hours at a push we can do it we can get pretty much wherever we want to go these planes you know they have to do it but we're pushing the the distance of what we can we can all endure yeah pushing what we can endure
0: i don't know if you've seen since we were in the u.s the american is actually now selling a very cheap economy fare which doesn't allow you to have access to the overhead bins
1: yeah good luck with <laughs> that guys That's a great way to start a fight on an airplane. And actually, you know what? It's interesting because American and United have both rolled out these, like, ultra-cheap fares to compete with Spirit and Frontier. It's just bad. I mean, and and BA are doing it here. BA have just completely diluted their product. And, of course, it happened right when I qualified as a gold card holder with them. You know, they're doing buy, buy on board now for European routes. It's... I think it's where the industry is is headed, even for for legacy carriers who are supposed to be full service.
0: Uh, There was this very interesting, I don't know if you've read it, on Skift. I Uh, did. There was the the interview of uh, the BA British Airways CEO. uh, It's very eye-opening because you can see the guy, I mean... You can see that there's a problem of culture within the organization. I'm not talking about the staff here, that the frontline staff that you talk to, uh, but, you know, the very legacy structure, the legacy thinking and mindset. And these guys tries to dislodge. And of course there's cost cutting. And of course the passengers are not happy. And of course there's a lot of stuff that we can complain about and yeah. rightfully so. But at the same time, you can feel the guys like, we, our cost structure is like, what, five times the ones of any, like, EasyJets or Ryanairs or, you know, even Norwegians and stuff. It's like, we cannot survive like this. So how can we do it? And uh, the, the interview is really, I'll put the link in the show notes, but the interview is really, really eye-opening.
1: It is it is good. And, I you know, I, I have been a huge critic of a lot of the cost-cutting measures that they've done because it's just really made the... The, the product suffer especially the premium product if you go on the the ba forum on flyer talk it's just scathing absolutely yeah, scathing yeah. but you know i absolutely get where he's coming from in some regards because they have a huge pension deficit that they are that they can't touch they can't do anything so the only place where they can really reduce their their costs is on the the front line service and now they're trying to renegotiate a bunch of Union deals, and of course, that always gets messy. So they've had a series of strikes already this year. It's it's going to be interesting to see what what they do. I have to say, my recent my two recent flights, when we were finally in the air, were were very 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 good. We can talk about the ten hour delay another time, but yeah, it's BA are definitely in transition.
0: We'll, we'll talk about it maybe at the end because we're talking about GFK and the delay appended GFK. So why not remind me? So we will will we'll cover it. I only flew a few times with. BA in the past year. Uh, the last ones was maybe I went to actually Orly, which is the second airport in, in Paris. It was not a long trip. It was a cabin it was, it was okay. on these sort of flights. There's almost no, the, the price was competitive with, you know, the likes of uh, low cost carriers. So that's why I flew them. It was okay. But it's true that uh, what I liked in the article about uh, in the interview, because it's actually an interview of the CEO of uh, British Airways is that Yes, there's a lot of problems, like you just mentioned, the pension stuff that, you know, because it's a legacy and they have to deal with that legacy. But at the same time, there was, and you can, it transpired that there was also organizational issues in the, the mindset yes. of people. That's the way we used to do things that we don't want to change, which happens to every other corporation that has been doing things the same way for the past 50 years or so, whatever. And I still hope that they're going to, you know, pull through and, you know, because it's a BA is an iconic brand and iconic yeah. airlines so i think uh,
1: i think they'll be fine i think it this this is the stuff that hurts right now and these types of things are most noticeable when you're taking away from an existing experience and i i you know if you come on board does is is business and first comparable to any of the me3 not even close and i would i would argue that virgin atlantic is quietly slipped past them as a better airline in the short term but I think they will recover and they'll be able to scale enhancements a lot more efficiently once they've gone through this very painful restructuring and, and cost cutting. Not
0: you're gold. I'm still silver. I think you have like a month and a half to get gold. So I might just go over the line. I don't know because I'm not traveling too much these days anyway because of my family situation. But I actually flew because since you just mentioned you know, the quality of the premium product in the airlines in the middle east. I flew as well a few times with Qatar, which is why... I well, yeah. actually, I reached silver and I flew... Th- with a very very strange route, it was. I think let me just check here. Back it was in uh, September, so it was just after we recorded our last show, which was very successful with uh, Tony Tyler. I flew from you know I think I did a London Warsaw with lot, then I did Warsaw Doha Doha Dubai Dubai Doha Doha Warsaw, and that was in a day and a half. Wow, <laughs> it was just just insane, and uh, actually it was super cool because you know that. Doha Dubai route is super short it's like an hour Uh, but on the way back we were upgraded to uh, a 350 I think it was Uh, that was really cool it's the third time I flew the 350 and I was in the premium cabins it was really really nice it's interesting because their premium cabins I was was in business class they don't have first unless you are on the 380 I think which you know this plush whatever stuff they have plus you know I will never pay for that anyway Uh, nor nor my clients will by the way but the, it's interesting how I flew many different products on, on, on the, during that uh, that trip I flew the 350 as I just mentioned I flew the, the dreamliner and I flew the 330 because you know Warsaw Doha I would say I would guess is not a premium route for them it's not a the route that you know put their newer plane so I right. flying the three there are three 330 or 340 now uh, anyway so an older version and you could see that every single plane had a, a different business product. Every single one. Really? And, uh, yeah, there was, you know, there, of course, the very new ones on the, the 350 and uh, Dreamliner are very similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're almost similar and they, they are the ones you want to get to. On older airplanes ouch i mean uh i was very lucky that my the seat next to me was not taken uh on the way back so it was twice the 330 and twice it was a different product so i had two generation one was a traditional the old seats you know that not fully lie flat that you would find still you know in uh, the last 15 years and the other was a kind of a life flight, but so cramped that, you know, I'm, again, 6'5", and it was, I couldn't even, like, sleep on the side. It was yeah. very, very strange. All that to say one thing is that Al Baker is about to announce, apparently, if you if you listen to the rumor, to their new super business seat. He's been calling that for the, you know, he's been pushing that rumor for the past year, which would be, you know, he says, well, oh, we don't need first class. We'll have this amazing business seat." So I'm wondering what it could be. So we'll, we'll probably learn this year if uh, this, uh, Fantastic, at least, you know, if you trust Al Baker, but Al Baker talks a lot, (laughs) a fantastic product. Maybe it could be like the one they did on, you know, I think this Delta, Delta one, which is just a business product, but you still have a door. I don't know. It'll be very
1: interesting to see what, because he, you're right. He does like to talk a big game. So it'll be interesting to see if he can actually uh, match the hype with the product.
0: My favorite trip, I would say of almost, I think 2017, 2016, I flew, you know, I fly Emirates quite often, uh, like all our listeners know by now, of course, because they must be tired of listening to me talking about Emirates but for once on the way back from dubai to uh london i instead of taking an emirates flight i took a coach here i took Qantas uh um, ah. because i really wanted and actually i think i had never i had said in the past that i think i flew them when i was young it's still possible i, I cannot find you know the boarding passes and you know since, since now both my parents passed away i don't have any way to actually make sure that i've actually flown them yeah but I said, okay, let's, I'll consider my first flight with them. And I was in first class actually. So I had seat 1A Wow! and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, of course it's a 380. Of course you're in first class. Of course you cannot have a bad experience. Let's be honest with that first, but it was quite something. Their seat, you know, revolves. You can have, you can e faces. The front when you are in, uh, you know, landing. Really? Or, uh, the, yeah. And then you have a button and the, the seat actually goes like a 90, no, no, maybe not 90, like, I don't know, 70 degrees on the left or the right, depending on which side, I guess, of the airplane you are. And then you face the windows and the same time there's a screen and there's like lots of little parts where you can hide the storage things. And they're like, it's, it's a very interesting, but the thing that I really like the most, was the staff. The staff was fantastic. Honestly, I don't know because maybe they're Australians, high Australian friends, but the staff was over the moon epic. I mean I really had a fantastic time with them. So I cannot of course again, uh our friend Kendall who's always was who's, who's been telling us after we uh, we uh we interviewed Tony Tyler that of course he would would defend the airline industry because he's you know he's he's in bed with all the airlines yeah, we know the room the legroom in economy is not getting in the best position. And yes, uh people like us sometimes have the luck to fly in the premium cabin, but if you have the luck to fly in the premium cabin, please try Qantas. It's quite something. Now it makes me want to go to Australia I mean maybe not in first class because I don't have the means and the money for that but, but it's it's really I'll come again to that because I've taken some pictures and I don't didn't have time to put them up for the recording of this show but uh, there, there was a lot of little things that were really really right for, for it that. it
1: sounds like a hell of a product
0: uh, yeah uh, soft and hard uh, interestingly you know that most of the passengers had already flown this flight was from Melbourne. So they already flown from Melbourne. They were, you know, they weren't in the, in the, the lounge because I guess, you know, they have to clean the, the, the plane, et cetera. So I was an add-on. Uh, and the, the staff was also different because I guess after like God knows how many hours you have to change the staff, but you could feel, you know, they came to me and said, Oh, how was Melbourne? I'm like, you know, I just actually just took the flight from here. <laughs> it's worth doing it. And I'm going to do it again in the future. So back to the UK, the other thing that happened uh, whilst we were not recording was that uh, we got promised a third runway at Heathrow.
1: Yes, and I still, I, not convinced it's ever going to happen.
0: Theresa May, uh, our prime minister, is. She represents people from Maidenhead, so they are over one of the landing pathways. So we all, I believe that many people believe that she would never go for a Thunder Runway because she has to defend her constituent. Then I think because of this Brexit thing that is happening and people are, you know, she has to kind of prove that, you know, global Britain, as you call it, like the UK has to be open for business or so whatever they, yeah. they want to say in the spin, they're so good at doing so. But then. The problem is that apparently, yes, we've got to get a third runway, but there's still some other votes to be done through parliaments that might not happen before 2018. And then that would lead to a potential opening of that third runway, if we're lucky, by 2025, 2027. That's incredible, isn't it? uh, And that doesn't even include the fact that we should have normally another terminal. So uh, will it be the Terminal six, which be just next to terminal five, or will it be a new terminal or where the new runway is? Nobody knows. Nobody has the money. The fun bit, though, because we're talking about BA, and I, I, I just can't believe it. Uh, do you remember when the, I think the CEO of BA or one of the executives say, oh, but we didn't realize that a new runway will destroy our, our headquarters?
1: <laughs> yeah, of course it would, because they're right on the perimeter road there on the north yeah. side of the airport.
0: But that's bullshit, sorry, for this word, that they would not know about it. This is like, oh, what? They're gonna, they're gonna destroy our building? Come on, they knew about it. I think it's all the game of trying not to pay for yeah, it. Yeah, that's basically. exactly
1: what it is. Who Who's gonna pay for this? You know what's the second biggest destination from Ethro? No. Dubai. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about is it. Wait, right? so what's the I first? Knew- i think it's new so york what, yeah there's so much capacity to new york i
0: don't understand there's so much capacity
1: and the prices are still so high yeah the prices you know, aren't great to new york 98 percent capacity
0: you know the, the airport is uh, they not ready to expand that they need to that third runway our listeners will know that our position is also that we should let gatwick have its second runway as well and just be done with it right? yeah just drive. Uh,
1: yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> back to emirates emirates just recently switched to Rolls royce so First, there was no orders for the 380 in 2016, which actually tells you something. All the orders I'm going to talk about now were orders made before. So the 380 program was supposed to be break even by 2016. Well, there's not a single order. So I'm not sure about where it's, that program is going. Even the our beloved 747, the Dash 8, had, I think, three. Passenger orders. We know that this program is not going anywhere probably, but at least they
1: have three. Yeah. Not There's a, single a few one from yeah, the and there's three. some car, quite a few cargo, cargo orders yeah. and a few, you know, a few other bits and pieces. So yeah, they, like you say it's not going anywhere, but the very large jet days are gone. They're they're over. So Emirates had part of
0: the the fifty last three eighties they ordered, they switched the engine manufacturers, They went from the engine alliance, which is an alliance between Pratt and Winfield and General Electric. They went to, uh, Rolls-Royce and, uh, Rolls-Royce is already equipping some of, you know, I think Air France, a few others. Uh, I might yeah. do not trust me on that. Uh, uh, you can just look it up on Wikipedia. You have all the information, but the, they did it because apparently I think the range of Rolls-Royce engines was slightly better or something. And maybe they wanted some, you know, they want to be rely on a single engine manufacturer for the entire fleet, but it didn't go that well because Zimmer says, that the engines are not up to standard and uh, Rolls-Royce is forced to do uh, revisions to the engines. Uh, some people say it's because of the particular conditions in Dubai, you know, very high temperatures, etc. Some people say it's the quality. I don't know. That's Again, we're not experts. If you read through the the lines in the various uh, interviews, including from Tim Clark, you can see that Emirates is quite pissed, actually, at Rolls-Royce. You know, like, hey, guys, what's the deal? We are not... So their later delivery, I mean, it doesn't change the fact that you know Emirates has so much capacity. I think they can wait for a few
1: months to have a new way through. Yeah. 80. But
0: if, you, if you're interested in these kind of backstories of the industry, you should go online and read about it. Oh it's Yeah, it would be very
1: interesting to understand that. I mean, they clearly saw a huge financial benefit for them to switch engine manufacturers. Because that's not a small decision. And again, it must have been a, f- uh, they must have missed the mark by a long way for, for Emirates to be so, because vo- they have been very vocal about their dis- displeasure. Uh, yeah. So it'll be, uh, you know, once this is all resolved, it'll be very interesting to see. Do they use Rolls Royce on their 777s? I think they do. I think they do. You're right. So there's clearly a pre existing relationship there. So I, um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what actually happened and, and how yeah. it resolves itself.
0: It would also be interesting to see what they do with their uh, aging 380s because at some point we don't know there's a secondary market for the
1: 380s. Well, yeah, that's another thing is there doesn't seem to be a second much of a secondary market for 380s.
0: I think that Malaysian ended up still flying them. I, th- I think I they think have they one, to get maybe? Yeah, maybe one, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I can, I I can be see wrong. it sometimes on Flight Radar, uh, Plane Finder or Flight Radar 24, I can see it like taking off from Ether, so I know they have one, but because, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I moved offices, so I'm not exactly on the landing path of Ether anymore. My office is now slightly still southwest, so I can still see the planes landing, but they're still a little bit further, so I don't have much much noise. But interestingly, I sometimes get the taking offs, not right above me, and there's a big difference when a seven four seven or four hundred <laughs> takes off, and when a three eighty takes off. I mean, they're probably at four thousand feet when they cross the
1: point of where is my office, and uh, there's a there's a difference. Difference between the three eighty and the seven forty seven in terms of noise. Oh yeah, I believe it. I I, I flew on a seven forty seven to New York, and I've forgotten how loud it is compared to inside the cabin. Compared to the 380 yeah. or the Dreamliner, and uh, you know, it was a both of my planes I flew on were at least 18 years old. They're not they're not young, sprightly airplanes with young, sprightly engines. So <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised, but I just it's been a while since I've flown on one and realized how noisy it can be. But thank goodness for noise canceling headphones.
0: Oh, since you're on that, so what, what kind of noise canceling headphones you have?
1: I have the Bose Quiet, the, the ones that you recommended, the wired ones, not the Bluetooth ones.
0: So that's the one I had. Bose Quiet Comfort. I guess thirty twenty five. Twenty five, I, I
1: think, is the one I have.
0: For years, years for me, for the past decade, mostly. If you were telling me noise cancelling headphones, the answer would be, and probably most of the people listening to us would be, well, you know, Bose. That's it. Mm. Right. That's the answer. People will always go for Bose. You know, we know that you know Bang & Olufsen and Schenker and Philips and others. They all try. You know, their hand at noise cancelling, and there are some of them are good. But in terms of the noise cancelling, I'm not talking about the sound, but the noise cancelling effect. The best ones are both. But, well, let me tell you something. There's a new king in town. You know, I have the iPhone 7, no jack, blah, blah, blah. People always, like, complain. I don't complain. I don't care. I, you know, And I got... I got used to wireless headphones because I have like a small pair. They're not noise cancelling, but just, you know, here when I go to you know, in London, when I just walk around and I got used to like, oh, I don't have to have a cable. That's pretty cool actually. <laughs> so I was in a market for Christmas, a pair of uh, noise cancelling headphones, the big over the here ones, the one that I really like to have when I fly. And also sometimes when I take the simply to simply the train or whatever, of course the answer was, you know, Bose Comfort 35, which is again, the wireless version if you have, but so, MDR-1000X, my God. There were very few reviews when I bought them, but now you can just go online so you don't have to trust me. The reviews are over the moon. They always say it's 10 out of 10 or 100 out of 100. These are the probably the best headphones I've ever had in my life. Wow. <laughs> Bluetooth, obviously, so it works really well. They have a few things that really make them, for me, completely amazing. First is the sound. You know, it's not, the noise cancelling is admittedly better than buzz. I mean, again, we're talking about maybe small difference. I flew them recently uh, on various flights, and I I did one thing, actually. I I left home, went to Ethro, took a flight, arrived in Geneva, and then went to my place in Geneva, and all along I had headphones on. I never almost stopped them, unless, you know, I was at a counter to show my passport, etc. I was cut off from the world for the entire thing. There's not a single sound that comes in. And the quality of the music is... Compared to Bose, this for me there's no difference. Compared to Bose, the quality of the Sony is actually really amazing. Wow. So honestly, guys, there's a few things that I really like. Um, there's controls on the headphones directly. It's like touch controls. So you wanna you wanna put the sound up, you just move your finger up on the right inside wow. of the the and it just goes up. It goes down. You can stop the music by a tap. You can replay by two taps. You can go forward backwards. And there's one thing that I really adore is that if you put your hand Like in a cup, and you cup your headphone, suddenly you go back into listening mode. So it stops everything and can listen what goes around you. So there's an announcement at the gate. You just do that and you can suddenly listen as if you were there. And then you remove your hand and it goes back into noise canceling with the music on. Very clever. Battery life is amazing. Uh There's no actual battery because Bose is always having like these small AAA batteries. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> by the way, I think I told you, I was in Dubai airport a few months ago uh and I was looking for AAA batteries because I had, you know, the wired version of Bose and like they ran out of AAA battery at, buy airport. What? <laughs> yeah, They told me, we don't have anything. I said, like, come on. I went to three shops in Terminal 3. And they said, no, we don't have any. Sorry, sir. You have to come back tomorrow. I'm like, I'm not coming back tomorrow. I have a flight to take. Wow. So guys, MDR-1000X, probably the best headphones I ever had. Again, I'm not talking about these iHand headphones that you can find for musicians and stuff. I'm talking about Traveler right. and I'm talking consumer grade. It's expensive but it's truly worth the price. Again, can I, our friend, when you sent me that email because you sent me an email, ah, have you seen those and never replied? But again, I already had them and it's really amazing. <laughs> what else? Uh, you heard about the, the fact that we're stopping the research for the Image 370? Yeah,
1: that was uh, sad but inevitable, I think. Yeah. we've We've really, I mean, three years and 50,000 square miles of searching, we really... Haven't found much at all other than a few little bits and pieces, so I can understand why the governments that are footing the bill have decided to give it away for the foreseeable future. Will we ever know? I don't, I don't, well, I don't think so. I think it will remain an unsolved mystery for a very long time, unless, I mean, if you're not actively searching for it, how are you going to find it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: The other thing, interesting, you remember, you raised a question with uh, Tony Tyler about the uh, problems with lithium-ion batteries and how it became a much bigger problem. Have you heard there, it's, I don't know if it's a rumor, because, but it's been said in a few, I've read it a few times, that the EgyptAir crash that happened a few months mm. ago might have been because the pilot's smartphone, which he put, and there's actually pictures from the video feed, which he put in front of him in the cockpit, the battery caught fire which then could have actually created a fire in the plane which crashed i mean wow i don't know know. we don't know but i mean it's if that is proven it's another case of problems with the lithium ion batteries goodness me that's that's i
1: did not see that that's that's extraordinary Uh, I'm going to finish
0: with one more story before we go to GFK, because he touches you. Uh, We mentioned at the top of the show the difficulties of Lufthansa and others, uh, BA, lots of strikes actually currently, if you fly BA, guys, be careful, there's strikes almost every week by BA now. (gasps) Cathay Pacific, cost-cutting.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen this. I know that they've had some very difficult years and some economic pressures in the region, some economic instability in the region. And I think they had a really big misstep with some fuel hedging a few years ago that really uh, they're still paying the price of. And they're having to trim back. It's not unprecedented for Cathay. And they're, you know, they have always had strong leadership. So I think that they'll be fine because they're still an outstanding airline. Easily one of the best in the region, if not the best. So I, I think they'll be fine. But you know it's it's tough times for airlines when an airline like Cathay is struggling.
0: I, I wanted to fly them. I went to Hong Kong, uh, I think, um, in November. And I wanted to fly them, but God, they're expensive flying from London. And I, I ended up flying Emirates because of miles and I could get upgraded if I wanted, et cetera, et cetera, the usual excuse. But I really want to fly them. God damn yeah, it. Yeah,
1: they are extraordinarily <laughs> expensive compared to everybody else on similar routes. I think there are some where they're comparable sort of intra-Asia, but you still pay. I mean, there's there's a there's a there's been a big influx, which I think is actually part of their problem of low-cost carriers and new competition in Southeast Asia region. So the price difference is much more noticeable than it used to be.
0: And the competition from China is rising as well. At one point, we'll see some of these big airlines in China having a say, in a much bigger play in the world, airlines. I mean, there's, they're, I mean they're still going to be China-centric, but they, we could see some airlines going into directions that are much like like the cafes and the Singapore Airlines and doing, you know,
1: fifth freedom routes, et cetera. We, we, I think we'll see that. I do uh, too. They're aggressively expanding. They're aggressively acquiring not just airlines, but airport infrastructure. I think it's going to be a very interesting decade for China.
0: By the way, I think, I have to check. I think Singapore Airlines does stuff like manchester to brazil or something
1: i don't know they have a lot of weird routes they have that wonderful jfk frankfurt route yeah correct yeah and
0: yeah but it's it's amazing it's uh they're really playing that fifth freedom to the max i mean which i appreciate because again i flew as well to singapore i think was in october and i wanted to fly singapore airlines because uh, they, they have these kind of slightly newer version of their product uh, in the in the 380s but again too expensive so i ended up playing again emirates i mean i'm not complaining about emirates guys because it's a great product i'm just saying that sometimes i wish i could just sleep for 11 hours straight and not having to stop in dubai yeah
1: exactly <laughs> exactly yeah because that's the that's the the price you pay i, I suppose
0: um... Uh, Yeah, I want to finish with that, actually, before we go to JFK. Sorry. uh, Did you experience a lot of turbulence lately in your flights? It's
1: really interesting you say that. Yes. um, The New York flights, going over to New York, especially, we crossed two very, very strong jet streams. On the way back, we had a jet stream at our tail, so it wasn't particularly bumpy. It could have been. And you know what's funny is that like three, what, are, twenty-seven, three or four years ago, I wrote a blog post on my now defunct personal blog about some studies saying that we were going to see a lot more turbulence in transatlantic, and I, I think it's it's coming to fruition.
0: There is a new app called the Sky Guru. It's actually I've never tried it yet, so I cannot vouch for it directly, but the reviews are pretty good. It's an app that works even in offline mode, and even in airplane mode, and you're in the, in flight which basically acts as a pilot sitting next to you and it tells you what's going on. So there is, of course, before you take off, there is some turbulence forecast. They will tell you, oh, you watch out there because of that kind of winds, etc. But the most interesting bit is whilst, especially if you're you're afraid of flying, but also if you're not, if you're just curious, it provides real-time explanation of what's going on and why it happens. Especially like if you see like, you know, some, some people say, why is the engine doing a different noise now? Because maybe they changed the regime. The app will actually tell you live and it uses it's on the iphone i don't think it works on android or they haven't released something yet it will use you know the the the, the microphone and we use the sensors the billions of sensors the iphone has to detect all the kind of ambient noises and tell you what's going on it's myskyguru.com i think it's a great idea. i do
1: too and it looks like it's um it's like 20 bucks for the pro version but they have a free version as well i often look at turbulenceforecast.com. Just just out of interest for when I'm flying to see if I'm going to be able to sleep or if I should schedule my trying to get to sleep before we cross a particularly aggressive jet stream. Uh, And that's a very, very good site as well. But this, I'm going to get this. This looks fun. Uh, so let's go now with JFK. we never done JFK. Why?
0: Because we always have an issue with uh, these big airports because they take forever to cover. So our coverage now in the next few minutes will obviously not be full. But still, do you like JFK, Alex?
1: I have a love-hate relationship with JFK <laughs> on so many <laughs> levels. I think it's a spectacular airport. It's a storied airport. It's an impressive airport. It's gotten much better in the last five years, I think. But it's still a pain in the ass to get to from Manhattan. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and I thought when we went with my six-year-old son last week, and we caught the only, well, the BA have an 8 AM flight. Almost all of the other flights are in the evening. They're, they're red eyes. And this is an 8 AM flight. We needed to catch it for scheduling reasons. And I, We left our hotel at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. I thought, there's ah. no never going to be any traffic. And of course, there was. There was an accident on <laughs> on the Fanwick And we didn't move for 45 minutes. Fortunately, or unfortunately, apparently you look at it, my flight was delayed for ten hours, so it meant not it meant God. nothing but um, I cannot no, no, you you telling me the story about that. I cannot believe you didn't
0: know that before going there. How the hell did they not tell you? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean I, so we were stuck in traffic, like not moving at all, and it, you know Google Maps God. was showing like an hour delay, and I thought we'll, we'll still make it, but it's going to be a little close. I'll just check on the ba app and, and make sure that everything's on time. And I pulled it up and I was like, looking at the numbers, I was still bleary eyed and tired. And I was like, those numbers don't make sense. What is happening here? <laughs> and then there was a notification, not, not a push notification, but there was just a thing at the top of the app that said, looks like this flight's been delayed. And I was like, this has got to be a typo. This is showing a 10 hour delay. This is not right. And I haven't been told anything. So I called the BA Gold Line, and they're like, yep, <laughs> 10 hours. And I was like, okay, now what? Like, and why? And they just said, go to the airport. We don't know why. At the airport, it was obviously chaos. As we're all standing there, we get a text message saying the flight's been delayed. And we're like, great, thanks. (laughs) Um, And... BA on the ground and JFK did not handle it well at all. I tried to see if I could get on the Virgin flight because we really had to be home, and they just laughed in my literally laughed in my face. They eventually no, good. they did not handle it well on the ground. But they said that there was a mechanical issue. The part had to be flown in on a BA flight from London, and then by that time we would have missed the curfew for Heathrow, so we couldn't even if the even if the fix took twenty minutes. We still would not have been able to leave until six o'clock that evening. So they're like, "We're going to bus you to a hotel, or you can stay in the lounge for ten hours." And I was like, "Oh, we'll go to a hotel." And they're like, "We'll feed you." What they failed to tell us until the very last minute was that the hotel was at Laguardia. Unbelievable. Yeah, so so <laughs> the bus was supposed to come at seven. It didn't. It, by eight o'clock, it still hadn't come. So I got in a taxi with my son, who who's only six, and had been up since four o'clock in the morning. Hung out at the hotel, you know, just killed time, and got back. And when we got through security, which was a nightmare, and again, the people on landslide for BA were not good. But when we got into the lounge, they were outstanding. When we got on the flight, the captain gave a very, very detailed and thorough explanation and apology of what happened, said that they'd asked and received special dispensation from Heathrow to land early and be prioritized because we had a very quick flight. It was under six hours because of a strong tailwind. But now I have to go through the process of EC two sixty one compensation, which I gather is not a fun process. I know that there's services. I think our Fred Greg Annandale did this once with Norwegian through a third That's party. A few, actually, yeah. but I'm going to try you and do it direct.
0: Uh, it would be nice also for us just to know how it works because I know these these sites do it for you, but they take like a thirty percent. Yeah, and I fee, don't think commission. I think
1: it should be a straightforward enough process where. I mean, Ten hour delay, mechanical delay. The, the mechanical issue happened mid flight on the inbound flight, so it's not something that was a, a part defect or something that they can they can get around. So it'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated with the process. It won't be great, but that was out of Terminal Seven. So how is that terminal? Because I don't know it. How is um, it? T- it's very small. Very small. Almost exclusively One World, and very heavy mm-hmm. BA presence there, obviously. BA have a fairly big, very good first lounge, small, but and a, and a good business class lounge. But it is a very, very small terminal. The good thing is, is that if you have a gold card or you're flying in first or business on BA, there's dedicated check-in, dedicated security, which is very, very fast. And the last time I was in JFK, before this flight in January, I did the JFK Lucy A318 flight. Nice. All business class. Nice. Which was so much fun. So much fun. <laughs> was- uh it's just great. I mean, how you, because but how is that? Is that a regular business BA business product? Or is it? Different it's a one? different one. It's it's two by two in this tiny little A three eighteen, and it's a full lie flat seat. They have, unlike almost every other BA flight, they have cell phone service across the Atlantic, and they know exactly who the audience is because before you even push back, of the lights are off, and you can oh, sleep. Wow. If, God, you wanna, yeah. if you want to, if you want to eat, you can. They'll bring you a lovely meal. the The staff were excellent they give you as you come off the airplane like a lunch box with a breakfast pastry, some coffee and and fruit and you can get off the plane and eat breakfast on the dedicated car service this is awesome. to an arrivals this is lounge great. at a hotel where you can go and take a shower and change and because the flight lands at like half 6 in the morning
0: I would say the only thing that's missing, and it might be coming soon, although maybe not in Lucy. It's basically
1: pre-clearance because if you're
0: if you could arrive in the U.S. and go directly, you do that. Asleep, that would be amazing.
1: They have it because you have to stop in Shannon Airport in, in Ireland on the way. Oh yes, because A310 will make it that far. So you get off while they refuel, and you can you get a snacker, and they give you an iPad as well, loaded with content. So you don't have moving back, but that's not the end of the world. And while you're rather refueling and recatering, you go through U.S. immigration. So you land and you go straight out at JFK. Obviously, you don't have that coming the other way because you don't need to stop. But it's Lucy, and immigration takes thirty seconds. It's wow. it's really good because everybody's a business traveler. Everybody's on and and off very quickly. I did a mixed class fare. So I flew out in premium economy on a 747, but back in business. And it was very, very reasonable. I, I am a huge fan. Of course, they just reduced the frequency from twice a day to once a day on that. And they're reallocating okay. 318s to European routes, which I think is a huge mistake because it's such a great service.
0: I have a question here. Uh, did you, so did you eat? During no. life?
1: In fact, they recommend and they have in the business class lounge at JFK, they have, you know, sort of tapas and nibbles and stuff. And then if you're a business class passenger, you can go and get a fairly mediocre hot meal. But only not if you're gold, not if you're silver, only if you're traveling business class. And they say they encourage you, go and eat so you can sleep on the airplane. And that's that's what I did. Of course, in the first lounge, if you're a gold card holder, you can go eat better food in there. I was
0: asking that because it reminded me, all well, we guys promised we will get back to GFK. It reminded me of another news that I read is that uh, BA thinking to go on on-demand food for the business class across all their routes, especially uh, the transatlantic one, which it would be one of the first, because the only airline I flew where I had like on-demand food uh, was in first class in uh, on Emirates so it's you know there's like what 8 seats 12 seats depending on the configurations so it's very easy to yeah. manage when you have more seats and especially when you with this, what you just said when you have someone next to you imagine you're to organize that is not easy because you have well, let's say alex is the window mm-hmm. uh i am on the ale next to you i want to sleep and i'm sleeping but you want to eat the crew has to go past yep. me and try not to wake me up and give you food and if you want to eat at 3 a.m or whatever it's your choice so whereas if you're like you have a smaller cabin with all ale access of course it's not such an issue
1: so i i don't know how that will pass. i don't know either because like you say on a 380 there's a lot of business class seats and I don't know if BA have the service culture to pull it off. I can see why they're doing it because I think you could reduce the catering costs substantially because now you're just putting a food in front of people and they're like, eh, fine, I'll eat it then. But if if people have to order their food, then I think people will probably go, I can't be bothered, I just want to sleep. But I I don't think it's going to be a great move for them.
0: Like you said, service culture as well, that's also... Do you have enough staff? You know, I don't know. It's going to be a lot of training. We'll see if they do it or not. This is a very heavy rumor. They they want to introduce and test that on yeah. someone I mean, else. Anyway, it's, back it's, to JFK. You know, what's
1: funny about JFK to- is that if you are in some of the other terminals, I would actually not eat in a lounge because, like, there's a Shake Shack uh in in term two Shack's actually in terminal five there's a joel rubichon uh no terminal four at the shake Shack. that might be across multiple anyway there's joel rubichon there's really good food in some of those terminals and you know i would absolutely go and eat those before i ate lounge food that's sort of basically like school food catering you don't have those options in terminal seven at all
0: yeah, it's a very old terminal, because I fly mostly, so my the two terminals are really no, I've, I've flown Terminal 8, I think this was a long time ago. Let's say the two terminals I actually fly is Terminal 4, which by the way a lot of people who fly to New York will know Terminal yeah. Four or Terminal Seven if you want well. Terminal seven also has, I think, A A. But Terminal Four has, you know, the most of the Delta and Sky Team and it also has Emirates and it has Asiana yep. and it has Etihad and it has Singapore Airlines. So you know it's pretty new actually. I mean it's a they've, it's they've really old, uh
1: they've really redone it and it's Terminal 4 has got some great food and it's it's nice and light and airy and
0: I remember in the past 3 4 years they were doing refurbishments it was imperfect and now the last time I flew which was last year and I mean 2016 a few months ago was actually it's up to standards to an international airport, of course. You know, you're not talking about the airports of the Far East, you know, the 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 Incheons and the Shangi, but it's it's this a potent terminal. I would say that the experience of getting there, I mean, sorry, to to to, to board there is better than to the experience of actually landing there. And landing in JFK is always, you seem to always end up in some side of like minus five garage or something. There's no lights, and you're like, am I really in yeah, New York? That's the first that's thing I see. That's very like, you can see a lot of people are startled. You know, a lot of tourists were are coming. They're like, "Where am I going? Why am I like in some kind of underground pathway yeah. where I'm supposed to be in New York?" It's the layout is not really you know easy. You kind of find an Uber. is not always easy. I've tried to use as well the train, but that's a nightmare that they've never built yeah, some kind of direct connection. I mean, you have to change. In terms of getting to it's, the,
1: it's just it's <sighs> it's a nightmare. It's absolutely awful. And we were fortunate my son and I on this recent trip, because we arrived at 11 o'clock at night and left in the morning. So that's the time of day to do it because there's no traffic, relatively, for New York. Terminal 4,
0: I would say, is a nice terminal. It's not uh, LAX International Terminal, but it's a nice terminal. Terminal 1, which I flew recently, I think also it dates back from the 90s. I flew it because I flew Norwegian, and they fly from Terminal 1, it's much smaller, but it's okay, actually, I didn't have, Security was okay, TSA was okay. So I wouldn't say, you know, I would say the, the experience of landing in New York is worse than the experience of taking off. And the views, when you land, if you're lucky, uh, you have the views over New York. They're not the same type of views you get over Newark. Yeah. When you get like, you know, you land a long Manhattan, but you still see the very, very nice view. And you have to be seated on the right-hand side of the plane, so F, I would say, or something, yeah. to actually see that view. But that's a nice first sight if it's your first time in New York, yeah. not, the, not the underground garage when they let you or something. And well, yeah, <laughs> and I, and
1: I, yeah, that's very true. And I think the only other thing that's, that's worth looking at is you do get the most extraordinary collection of airlines and aircraft at JFK. No matter what time of day or what time of year, the amount of airlines from all over the world that fly there is is really fascinating
0: and there is the terminal i think was it the terminal six is the one with the jet blue yes. i think it's actually people say it's very or nice the, uh, the sky the sky roof and whatever yeah that's uh, a cool terminal you can see the the very famous
1: twa yeah uh, that's terminal is,
0: i think it's not used but they have planned to do something with it the hotels or whatever that i hope they never destroy yeah no, that, it and they, they, a, yeah they have to treat
1: that very very delicately I feel like I've been there a lot recently but uh, yeah there's good eats there's yeah, good views have, it's a pain in the butt
0: to get to that's the best way to actually uh, synthesize that uh, guys if we forgot anything about GFK and I'm sure we did uh, just yes. let us know uh, Facebook Twitter email everything is on a website and uh, we'll have more stories the next time we record it might be next week or the week after uh, I'll push this episode very quickly so people will be satisfied thank you all for having beer with us while we were absent and um, see you next it's time it's good to be back happy travels On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.